Hello, this is Jane Sigford, convener of the podcast Views and Voice Above the Noise, hosted by MASA, Minnesota Association of School Administrators. Today's guest is Renee Cornet, superintendent of the St. Anthony Public Schools, which is located six miles northeast of downtown Minneapolis. The district serves around 1,800 students, but it's an unusual district in that it is the smallest geographic district in the state of Minnesota which is unusual to think it's located within the metro area. As mentioned in previous podcasts, differing themes evolve over the course of conversations with the guests. With Renee, there were four themes that were of distinct interest. One, she's a first-year superintendent. Two, she works in a very small district in the metro area. Three, she's a woman superintendent. And four, she was an internal candidate in the district. She had served in many different capacities, including middle and high school principals and data specialist and student support service person. Let's hear a little bit about Renee. So I started teaching in Bloomington, Jefferson. I was a social studies teacher. Uh, I was, um, and I started teaching, it was on a block schedule. I taught there for three years, and the reason I bring up the block schedule is because in the three years, I figured... I could have had 1,200 different kids based on the schedule because, you know, I was a new, new person, so I got, like, three preps out of a four-prep day. <laughs> you know, you're a new, new teacher, and you're learning, you know, things from film studies to geography to American history and then global studies, right? So it was great. I loved it. But then Bloomington went through a reorg. They opened up three middle schools, and I had just taken the American Middle School by Dr. Lynn Searcy, and I absolutely fell in love with her passion in regards to the middle level. When they opened up those three schools, there was a opening for middle school, eighth grade geography. I applied internally for the position, became an eighth grade geography teacher for five years at Oak Grove Middle. But I remember going in there uh, into that interview knowing uh, all about being developmentally responsive. I was just with somebody the other day, and they're looking to be a middle school principal. I said, well, you better go read Turning Points 2000, and this we believe. So, and, And Dr. Searcy wrote on a paper of mine, you sound like an administrator. I think I wrote her back somehow, like, don't say those words. It was pretty cool. And so because of that, talk about tapping someone on the shoulder, after that class, I was toying with the idea of getting my doctorate. Dr. Searcy thought that would be a good idea. She kind of pushed me to do it. Why not get your administrative license while you're doing that? Because they correspond so many of those classes. Well, I did that, and then I was five years as a geography teacher, and then a dean position opened in my in my building, and I was in those classes, and so I became the dean of students for two years. At which school? Oak Grove okay. Middle, still in Bloomington. I remember um, again, Dr. Searcy was the assistant uh, superintendent in South or no, in um, Easter Carver County, and I was in communications with her because she was going to be having a, a middle school assistant principal opening. I was re- really considering that. I was thinking about that, but then. Our current principal at that time, Ray Noss, had told me he was going to be retiring. And so he came up to me one day because I had asked him to talk to me about this job down in Easter Carver. And he looked at me. He's like, you know, I'm going to retire. I'm retiring next year, meaning this coming year. And then our assistant principal is like, my plan, and I don't get to choose, is that for our assistant principal to be the principal and then you'd be the AP. That is what happened. And I became the assistant principal at that same school. So in that one school, I was a teacher, dean, and now the assistant principal. And I was there for two years, and at that point, I um, had a kid, baby, baby. 
St. Anthony opened up, and I lived in northeast Minneapolis. It was really close. I really didn't know much about St. Anthony. It seemed everyone else knew about St. Anthony. There's lots of, oh, St. Anthony, this small little school. And I didn't know much about it. I actually had to put it on the map to find it, even though it was two miles from my home, and interviewed for that position and got that high school or middle school principal job there. I was there for eight or nine years. I loved it. It was probably my, the first year was horrible. I thought I, it was the, the worst thing ever. Then after that first year, I was like, okay, maybe I made the right decision. So I was principal there. And then actually last year, I became the high school principal for a while due to some things and, and then got the superintendency. Renee talked about a couple of very important things in her previous comments. She talked about the importance of being tapped on the shoulder and having one person say, you should do this. We'll talk more about that later in the conversation. I asked Renee what it was like to be an internal candidate and then suddenly become the boss. The process to, as an internal candidate was pretty hard. I think you you have to do, a, first of all, a lot of soul searching around everyone knows you or they think they know you and they pretty much have an opinion about you. And so that process, was I wasn't so much afraid of this idea of being the boss, which is funny. Thinking about it that way even makes me giggle. Um, Why? Because I don't know. Like that's just like I I giggle at this thought of being the boss. Like I say it as a joke all the time. Like, hey, you guys, I'm the boss. You know, and like we don't really take it seriously. So, but you are. I totally. I, I get it. I mean, I get to call snow days, right? Like, I mean, that's really as bossy as I can be, right? Well, it's like Shane Zafir. You are in charge, but you're not in control. Right. That's a, probably the best way of looking at it. I think I pretty much know that. I still think that someone was just saying it to me the other day, too. Like, so I've been an internal candidate almost always, right? If you think about it, I got my job at the high school, and then I went internally to another middle school. And then from the middle school I was in, I was a teacher, then I was a dean in that building, and then I was an AP in that building. So it's similar. So I'm used to this idea of like, oh, how do you go from being a colleague to then their boss? It's like, well, I don't know. I just, I guess that's what I've done, and I don't know any differently. I don't know much differently than that. It's always interesting to me how people prepare for an interview. And as an internal candidate, Renee shared her feelings and her plans about how she did that. I had to let people know my story, what my narrative was, even though they thought they knew my narrative. And that's the only way I can kind of describe it. And I knew going in that this was going to, even though every single person, even Dr. Searcy, who is obviously a mentor of mine, would tell me over and over again, this is not a referendum on your work. And I said, well, it kind of is. I've been here eight years. I've not only was the principal, but I was the acting as the staff development person, the technology person, the achievement integration person, the ads. I was a small district. If, if it wasn't a referendum on our, my work or where we're going, then I'm not sure what was. So going in and preparing it was going in all or, all or nothing because I knew I couldn't stay if I didn't get it because I'm, it's not, I'm not going to stop doing the same work. I'm not going to... My work is pretty value-driven. Those values aren't, weren't going to be what was valued by the board or from the community. I can't do my work here. So I think it was more of that fear around maybe that, that's not a match of values and I've been just playing. Because I, I don't think I can do the work in a place that doesn't have a, a match in, in the values. Or they don't understand that I'm going. this is how I will go about doing this work. That work is um, equity-focused. I'm willing to 
play and get to that line that makes people uncomfortable. It, I wanted the board to understand like that's that is who I am. Wanted to make sure they were okay with that. Do you think that if you hadn't been an internal candidate, you would have prepared differently for the interview? No. Because March is International Women's Month, the Minneapolis Star and Tribune has recently run several articles, including some about the lack of women in the top positions in business, healthcare, and even the military. We've been aware of that issue in education for quite a while. AASA, American Association of School Administrators, tracks the numbers of women in the superintendent's position. Although over 70% of all teachers are women, roughly only 27% of superintendents nationally are female. In Minnesota, it's only 16%. MASA has been sensitive to this issue and has sponsored several initiatives, such as a women's networking opportunity at a spring conference, a day-long seminar at spring conference called Ruth's Table for current leaders to bring an aspiring female leader to the, join the discussion and to begin networking, and also they sponsored a two-day conference called Legends to explore contemporary issues. However, it's hard to gather data to assess the impact of these programs. In preparation for this podcast, I gathered some information from a book entitled Women and Educational Leadership, written by Margaret Grogan and Cheryl Shakeshaft, who have researched and included an extensive lit review. An important quote from their book is, Documenting leadership behaviors that predominate among women is not the same as saying that women lead differently from men. Unquote. How leadership is defined and measured may give different results depending on the focus of that study. What Grogan and Shakeshaft described, however, are five themes that women leaders in education pay attention to. Relational leadership, leadership for social justice, leadership for learning, spiritual leadership, and balanced, more collaborative leadership. As you listen to this interview with Renee, you will hear all five. Renee talked about the difference for her between management and leadership and which one she focuses on. At the level of being superintendent, they're really, everyone's going to know at some point how to do the budget. They're going to learn how to do all the technical leadership management things. It was just through the great start. I mean, how many content level things did they teach us? Like, we're going to have to learn those things. They're really hiring the person. Like, either it's you want me and how I go about leading, not managing, but leading and what I'm leading toward, or you don't. And I think that's why I wanted to make sure that anytime I interviewed, they knew exactly who I was. Anytime someone gets a new job, there are definitely challenges. Being a first-year superintendent is no different. The biggest challenge as a superintendent is trying to figure out, you know, you know, as a trying to understand what, what are the big buckets at that moment? What's the, what one is this? What one of these are the priority? Is this the priority or should this be the priority? Because everything seems like a priority. And so I think learning that, and I know it's nuanced, but I think it was, it was really hard to try to figure out which, which of these things do I need to, to put the most effort in, the most time in. So making sure I understood that, that list. And it's getting better. I think being as an internal candidate who in a, in a small district in the metro, so I understand my district is pretty uh, mi middle of the road size, but in the metro of 40 plus districts, I'm 1,800 kids. So I, 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 I have the same metro dealings, but I'm the size of an outstate. I had my hand in everything, even when I wasn't the superintendent. So again, 
let's I'll just list really random things: AdSys, achievement integration, technology, everything. So now I'm moving into superintendency. But I need to let go of some of those things, but I was the only one doing it because we're one district, one person has 14 things. So trying to delegate, and that sounds so weird, but this idea that like, how much do I stay in? How much do I pull back in my leadership in some of the areas of the positions that I was doing prior? How did you figure that out? I haven't yet. Renee talks about empowering her staff and building more of a collaborative style of leadership. So I'm in a meeting with someone every hour. So there's just, it's all meetings. And I'm fine with that as an extrovert. It doesn't bother me. But I think that's not sustainable because I I need to continue to allow, as I keep pushing those things off, I need people to feel um, that they know how to do that work without me, my, my approval or my look at it. One of the ways she's building such leadership is using her team to look at how they do what they do and what could they do better and more efficiently. I had every administrator create an accountability chart of the things that they're responsible for. I was able to do line by line of our budget staffing to determine where I could find more money and rearrange money to support. As a former principal in the building, we only have three principals in the district. I needed to remove all of their district-level duties so they could be the instructional leaders at their buildings. So that meant that my athletic director, our business director, our special ed director, our communications director had to take on those roles that principals used to do, which means I have to provide support for them to do that work. So by them doing that accountability chart gave us a picture of the work that needed to get done, who was responsible for it, and then where we could plug in more support with people. How's that been? Um, we're going on next a week from Tuesday again to talk to the board about that budget, so we'll see how it goes, because that just costs money. There's going to be an increase in the budget, but not much, because if you start rearranging things, it works. For the people involved in that process, was it a relief? Our, yeah, the, I would say our administrative team, they hated it. I kept bugging them, get that accountability chart done, let's talk about it, let's do it. And they would all say, oh, once I got into it, I loved it. But it wasn't until the end when it was all put together that I'm like, okay, now let's look at this. Where are our holes? There's the middle school principal and the SPED um, department chair and the high school should not be running the student information system. Renee demonstrates a very good example of how you take theory and you put it into practice. My entry plan was two parts, really three parts. So the first part was I was going to meet with key leaders and really get a sense of what I had an idea of what I felt the district felt, but I needed to ask. And that helped build the strategic direction. So that was one whole section. And then the other section was really this accountability chart. So how did I learn that? Isn't that just good organizational theory? What are the jobs? What are the duties? So more on the, um, what was his name? Old researcher, it's a German name. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But um, really looking at classic organizational theory around efficiencies and doing things like that, and then building my administrative team. Because I was them, I was part of them, I still am, but I was a member now in really trying to create a team that was committed to that work. Moving into the superintendency also changes the dynamic of interpersonal relationships. How did you deal with that? We talked openly about it, and I said that that's going to be awkward, but I'm not really formal. I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of 
pretenses. To, I don't come in trying to demand a room. If anything, I, if I do demand it, it's through humor and not necessarily through uh, sucking up the power of the, the room. So we spent a whole day, just the eight of us, kind of talking through that. You know, we did we did the strengths finder. Picked something that we could hold on to that had us all talk about who we are and what our strengths are so we can come together. I'm deliberate in openly talking about and saying things like, right now I know I'm the superintendent, but can we have a conversation where we're just having a brainstorming? So, like, trying to pretend to take the hat off and saying things like, well, I know if I'm in this room, there's going to be no truth to power. Are you guys going to be able to talk? Or, you know, like, trying to really call it out as much as possible. You'd have to ask them how they're feeling about it more than me. Have you had any issues being a female superintendent? I think I would say that the, the men in our community have a harder time. There are some men in the community who have a harder time with it than anyone else. And how do you know that? Um, the emails I receive. And like what? <laughs> a snow day email. I received an email of, when are you going to call school? Or, you know, everyone else has called it. Why haven't you? You have all the information you need. What's wrong with you? Okay. And then, then another email like, well, it's easy for you. You can just stay home with your kids. And then the last line saying something like, you make me sick. Like, I, I just don't think they would have said that to m my former superintendent, who I love, Bob Laney. But as a man who's white and um, is in, in, the, in the sixes, in the sixth decade, no one's going to talk to him like that. There's no way. But people feel it's okay or just dismiss. I'm not going to shy away from it, but I'm not going to give it energy. And if, what I've noticed is our school board are six and six of them and four of them are women and two are men and there are um, some complaints that come from men that will only go to the men on the board even though all the women hold the officer chairs so and they won't those men still won't talk to me first and how do you deal with that when they come i just get real close and sit next to them Talk about the support you've had from women and the men, particularly those in your region. Deb Henton is my mentor, and she's pretty awesome, and I, I love her. She meets with me, and if we can't meet, she's so good at like rescheduling and making sure that we meet. I've had good women in my life who have been supportive. Like How many times did I mention Dr. Searcy today? Mm -hmm. She's always been you know, a good mentor. I would say that I've gotten some mentorship through some of our new women superintendents. So during Great Start, there's Barb Dufferin at Matamidi and Mary at Rosemont Apple Valley. Egan. And even in our Great Start program, not many of us. Three women sit next to each other and we engage differently and, and how we, you know, so we talk openly about that. Terry in Prior Lake, she's been somebody, I mean, not that I pick up the phone and call, but when we're at meetings, she always makes a mention to come and see me or you know, connect in some way. So I think. Do you get any support from the men in your region? Yeah, I can't say that. I guess, you know, the region, I have been, I have not been as good at connecting with my region. I missed the, the, the two region meetings that we've had so far. But yes, I sent an email to, um, to, out to three of the people in my region, and all three of them got back to me within minutes and have been super open about like making a connection or if I needed anything, and, and I did, and they responded. I mean, quickly, they all did. But right. people are really kind. I think that's probably the way uh, David Law said it today about you have these 300 friends, and I forget sometimes that I have th that, that concept. That resonated with me a little bit today. 
Yeah, I didn't realize how not many of us there are. Renee talked about what it's like to have the title of superintendent. People really do, just having the title, people really think that you might be special. Are you? No! Like, at all! Like, that's what I mean. Like, people, like, it's like the most oddest thing. Like, I always talk, my mom just told me today, like, who do you think you are? Like, and I was just being like, she wasn't saying it in a mean way, but she was like, I was ribbing her about something, and she was just putting me in my place. Like, I don't have this sense of, I know that people say it, and it's all cliche and all that. I'm like, well, there is hard work to be done, and the decisions that I have to make on snow days, fine, I'll make them. But the other stuff is not a decision. It's a work. Like, we got to work through this, and I need people to talk through that with me. And so it's not as... Uh, so I think that's weird. I felt by getting the superintendent job at St. Anthony, I could do the work we have been doing, and we can continue to do it. That's how I felt. People in that community, people on that staff that were doing the work and wanted this work to continue, wanted me. That's how I looked at it. Okay, I'll do it. It wasn't, I gotta get this. It wasn't there. Renee's excitement about the job is real apparent when she talks about what she sees as the work of the superintendency. Just the work. And I feel like I, uh, I can, I'm an efficient manager. I get things done. So it's like, fine, let's do, I'll do all that stuff so we can get it out of the way. It's like get clearing the runway for the principals. I need to clear things out for you guys. I'll do that. I'll figure out the budget. I'll put people in place. Now you go lead your buildings the way you want to know and you know you can like, I'll do that work. And, and it, it, is that superintendent Sure, I can control the budget. But the real work, the adaptive changes that we need to make, that's going to be a whole group of us trying to figure that out. The team will have to figure out some of the changes that will be coming when jobs are reassigned and the roles are different, including how Renee sees her role as a superintendent. Their job is to clear the way to do instruction. They're the instructional leader. That is what you're asked to do. I will take all the, they used to have to do more of the HR stuff. They had to, we don't have an HR director. It's me. So trying to clear all that stuff out, make their jobs easier. What background do you have in HR? Zero. Zero. So how does that work with when all these legal things are so fussy? Yeah, just call the lawyer. <laughs> you have a lawyer on retainer? No. Nope. Oh. Yes, on retainer, but not uh-huh. in-house. But yeah, call a lawyer. Uh, I had to do some negotiations for the first time. Yeah, I, I think I... And did uh, I felt like I was able to build good community. People, like I, I enjoy people, so I loved being and sitting at the table and being really honest about what we could or couldn't do and then see how we navigate that. And you're not terribly afraid of conflict. No. How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. That's the thing. And I can do it with a smile. Like, this is really fun. You guys, look at what we're talking about. Everyone's like, eh, we're in Minnesota. We don't like this. Having a small district can be an advantage. Totally. We're nimble. If we can't do it, where, could, where can they? I will monumentally change how we go about providing services next year with one budget cycle. The spring conference for MASA this year had the theme of Celebrate Education. I asked Renee what she would celebrate. I think my celebration would be is I want to celebrate that, again, I hate when it sounds cheesy, that I get to do this work. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. Like, I get to do it. People gave me some responsibility. I take that responsibility really seriously. That it's, I, I want to celebrate that, that we get to do this work. 
This is Renee's first year, and as everything is so fresh, I asked her what advice she would give to other new superintendents. Along with that, I asked Renee how she would mentor or tap other people to join this profession. I definitely think you need to, you need to have a plan for your year. And think about it like a lesson plan. What's your end goal? And work backwards. And build the activities and the act actions that you would take. How would you mentor women and people of color to opt into this job and to explore your options and to be part of this wonderful field we're in? I would say acknowledging that it's going to be hard. Like, don't go in with, like, pretend puppies and unicorns. So how do you go find these people who are qualified and you tap them on the shoulder? I tried to tap my SPED director today, and she was going, avoiding my tap with her shoulder. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you know, this, the SPED world, there are lots of women. To choose to be a superintendent is definitely more than just choosing to be the authority in a school system. People choose the jobs they seek, whether it's teacher, principal, curriculum director, special education director, or superintendent, for many reasons, but one very important one is to consider what is your own skill set and what is your goal? What can you accomplish or give back? And what position gives you the opportunity to do that? Renee put it this way. So you think through that. I had a lot of discussions in my head about I loved being a teacher, like right? And then I, I think being a teacher and being a principal is really similar. And I think being a superintendent and a principal is similar. Where it, then I go to my uh, social studies background, it's like being a mayor or a governor versus the uh, being on the council or being a senator. Right, so teaching and learning, I thought about going to that route because I really like teaching and learning, but then I was like, do I want to be a senator? This is Jane Sigford signing off. My email is jlsigford at comcast.net if you had comments for me. I want to thank you for listening. Our profession is such a meaningful one, and I want to close with Renee giving voice to her excitement and passion about our profession. We are in the business of kids. Like, we got a bigger purpose with our democracy and all that, but like, we get to do this.